Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So it has been my privilege to pastor this church for the last 25 years. And uh, yeah, pretty cool. And uh, I just want to tell you why I love pastoring this church. Um, one of the things is, I get to wake up every day and get to do what I love to do. Um, And I get to do it with uh, a group of leaders and volunteers um, who are just as committed to to this work as I am. And and that I get the chance every weekend to hopefully inspire people to take next steps in their journey of faith and the next steps in moving closer and closer to God. And it's just just an incredible thing for me, and it's a privilege uh, for me to pastor this church. And I've I've been thinking about that a lot as we've been leading up to the 25th anniversary. And um, I picked up a book not too long ago. It's by a guy named uh, Simon Sinek. And the title of the book is Start With Why. And uh, he talks about the importance of knowing why you do what you do. And um, it's, it's been an incredible thing for me because that question, why, was one that I was asked an awful lot about 26, 27 years ago. When I first started talking with family members and friends about this idea of planting a new church and and being a church for unchurched people, the number one question I got back from people was, why? Why would you want to do that? Why would you you leave where you are now? Why would you go and move to a place you don't even know? And, And why would you do that? And in all honesty, I have to admit, there were moments when I asked that question myself, um, in fact, I actually, I've got a, I've prayer journals that I have kept through this whole journey. And, and I found, I dug out a prayer journal from before we were actually starting the church. And I was just, um, just thinking about and planning to uh, do this. And I, and I came across this journal. It's from August 8th, um, 1989. This is what I wrote. I sometimes wonder what it would be like to know the future. Somehow... I think present difficulties would be easier to face if I just knew how they would turn out. But then again, maybe not. I sit here in my office today dreaming about possibilities, going to a new community, beginning a new church. The visions I have of it in my mind are probably unrealistic, yet wouldn't it be great (laughs) if it all worked out? Sometimes thinking about this, uh, something like doing something like this scares me to death. How could I even think about doing something that crazy? What if nobody comes? What if it all bombs? Is it worth the risk? There's something deep inside me that says it is. Part of me says, just go for it. I just wish I knew how it would all turn out. But then again, maybe not. something I discovered in the last 25, 26 years is the importance of why. That knowing why you do what you do. In fact, uh, one of the things I discovered and what drew me to Simon Sinek's book is is this whole idea that when we understand the why, see, we understand the why, it will determine the what and the how. It's all about the why. If you know why you do what you do, if you know why you're you're doing all of this, then, then the what and the how, those will follow. You'll be able to figure that out, but you gotta know why. And the other thing I found over the last number of years is why is also what determines how long. Because <laughs> if you know what it is you're supposed to do and you know why it is you're doing it, 
It gives you the ability to endure no matter what. So today, as we celebrate our 25th anniversary together as a church, uh, some of you have been with us from day one. Some of you have just come in the last couple of weeks. I want us all to understand why we are who we are and why we do what we do. And it, and it comes down to a number of passages of Scripture that have just resonated with me over the years. So we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. It's not going to be one passage of Scripture. Um, but these are the passages that, that just moved me and, and defined my ministry as a pastor and of this church and really has defined us who we are as a church. It's the whys of what we do. And so here's the first one I want to give to you. And this is like foundational to everything else. The reason we do what we do is because lost people matter to God. It is absolutely fundamental. It, it's, it is the one thing that underscores everything else that you do. When we were first thinking about this idea of planting a church and what it would look like and being a church for unchurched people, the way that that came about was um, I was reading one day through the Gospel of Luke. And I was in Luke chapter 15. And, and there was something that just struck me like never before. And I'd read Luke 15 before. I'd, I'd been in Sunday school. I, you know, I'd learned all these stories. But there is something that happens in Luke 15. Luke records three different parables that Jesus tells. And he tells them back to back to back. Now, last week I told you Bible study 101. When you get the word therefore in Scripture, you stop and you see what it's there for. Okay? I'm going to give you the second one. Anytime God repeats himself in Scripture... That means this is really important stuff, okay? And when he repeats it three times, it's like, okay, you better understand this one. And, and in, the, in Luke chapter 15, there's these three stories that appear back to back to back, and they all have a common theme through them. In fact, a common pattern through them. It starts with something of great value is lost. And then an all-out search is launched until what was lost has been found. And then when it is found... They throw a party. They celebrate. And the first parable uh, talks about a, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And he realizes that one of them is missing. And, and it says, and, and I, I learned this story years and years and years ago. I had never pictured it. I never caught this part of it. Because what it says, because I'd always had this picture. He gets the 99 safely into the pen, locks the gate, you know, make sure they're all safe. And then he goes out for the one. No, what he does is risky. He leaves the 99 out in the open country and immediately goes in search of the one. What we're getting there is a picture of God's heart. That one lost person matters so much to him that he will do whatever it takes to reach that one lost one. And so the shepherd goes out and he finds the sheep and he brings them back. And, and he says to his friends and his neighbors and the other shepherds around, he says, Come and rejoice with me because I have found the sheep that is lost. And then Jesus says these words. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's God's heart. God's heart for lost people. The next story is one of a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one of them. You think, well, what's the big deal of that? Well, to her, it's important. So she turns the house upside down. She cleans it from top to bottom. She searches everywhere she can. She finds a lost coin. She calls her neighbors and friends. Hey, come have a party with me. I found the coin that I lost. And they throw a party. And then the third one, and, 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 and then Jesus says these words. I tell you that in the same way there, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That this is God's heart. And then the third story is a th story about a, a lost son. 
And we know it, we call it the the prodigal son, but it's really about a lost son who chooses on his own to get lost. He takes his his share of the father's inheritance. He goes off and just squanders it all. He just does his own thing and hits rock bottom and decides to come back to his dad. He's sitting there, he's actually working for a man and the, the guy doesn't even pay him. He has to eat the same food that he's feeding the pigs with. And he decides, you know what? My father treats his hired people better than this. I can go back and work for my dad, and he'll take better care of me. So he actually prepares a speech for his dad, and he makes his way home, and, and he starts the speech. His dad sees him a long way off, comes running to him, and he starts the speech. But before he can even get halfway through the speech, his father interrupts him, grabs him, hugs him, takes him by the arm, brings him back in, and says to all the people, let's throw a party because this son of mine is returned. And he's got an older brother. And the older brother stayed at home, dutifully did all his work, carried his chores, you know, watched the sheep, did the whole thing. He comes home from work one day, and he hears all this partying going on. And when he comes in and he hears all this, he asks one of the servants, what's going on? Why is everybody throwing this party? He says, oh, because your brother came home, and he refuses to go into the party. So his dad goes out to the older brother, and he says these words. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's live again. He was lost and is found. That's God's heart. The lost people matter to God and they ought to matter to us if we're going to carry the heart of God because here's been my experience over the years. I have experienced, it seems to me there are way too many older brothers in Christian churches because when we get so Uh, focused on our own comfort, on our own agendas, um, on our own expectations, we become introverted. We become inward focused and we become self-centered. We become selfish. And what worst of all, we lose God's heart for lost people. And when that happens to a church, it begins to die. And so we've said from day one, We are here to reach unchurched people, that we live in a hurting world with lots of hurting people, and they are all around us. And and it became one of our core values that we will be redemptive in our relationships, which simply means this, that every relationship that you have, every friend that you meet, every acquaintance, everybody you come in contact with day in and day out, every conversation that you have has within it eternal possibilities, If you will just open your eyes and open your ears and be attuned to what's going on in other people's lives, God can use you to reach a lost person. And the reason that's so important is because everyone needs belonging. Everybody has this desire to belong, to be a part of something else. And and Jesus made that a priority. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, the first thing he did was he called followers. He handpicked 12 guys, and he just called them to be with him, to belong, to be a part of this group. They didn't believe. They didn't even understand. So many times he had to say, how am I going to put up with you guys? In fact, John's gospel tells us it wasn't until the resurrection that they saw and they believed. For three years, he taught them, he he showed them, he explained to them, he told them parables, he had private conversations with them. Just He just invited them to belong. In fact, that was the thing that got Jesus into trouble more than anything else with the religious people was the people he hung out with. That's why Jesus told those stories in Luke chapter 15. 
Jesus started with belonging before believing. Because everybody needs to belong. And about 50 days after his resurrection, on the day of Pentecost, one of the feasts, the Jewish feasts, God birthed the church. And 120 followers became 3,000 in one day. And it continued to grow and multiply beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea. It began to multiply all through the Gentile world. Now, this created a problem because these people who were Gentiles now that were coming to believe in Christ and, and putting their faith in him. See, if you were a Gentile and you became a proselyte of, of Judaism, if you were converted to Judaism, you had, if you were male, you had to be circumcised. Okay? Talk about tough entry requirements. And that was always the expectation because that was the, that was the identifying characteristic of someone who was a follower of God, a, a God, a believer. And, and so this created a big problem because, okay, all of us now up till now, we've all been Jewish. We've already gone through that. And we know that when someone converted to Judaism, they had to be circumcised. But what are we going to do with these people who are now becoming followers of Jesus? And it became a really, really big issue. So much so that they actually convened a council in Jerusalem recorded in Acts chapter 15. They have a big discussion on what are they going to do and how are they going to solve this? And, 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 what, and the bottom line question was, who, who is the church for? And they had this whole discussion. And James, at the end of it, stood up and he said these words. It's my judgment. Since God is doing something here, it's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. In other words, they decided no entry requirements. This is all about God's grace. Now, what was true then needs to be true for us today because people are still needing that place of belonging. And the way that that happens is that we live authentically. That's why we say around here all the time that we are all people in process. None of us has it all together. None of us has it all figured out. We're all at different stages in this process, but we're all people in process, which means even people who are still start, just starting that, that, that journey, that are just investigating that journey, there is a place that you can belong here. And we're not going to make it difficult for you to turn to God. Now, when we first started Northgate, we actually, we did a survey. We went door to door. We had a survey. It had five questions on it. One of the questions was, why do you think most people don't attend church? Top three answers we got. Because it's boring and irrelevant. I'm too busy. And they only want my money anyway. So we said, okay, if those are the, those are the barriers that are keeping people, that's what's making it hard for people to come to God, then we're going to remove those barriers. We're not going to be boring and irrelevant. We're going to throw balls at the pastors around here, okay? We're going to do crazy, nutso things because it ought to be a celebration. It ought to be, it ought to be fun. And, and it changed the way that I started preaching. I started preaching about life application and what the Bible has to say about everyday living, so we changed all that, and we said, we're not going to have an hour long, uh, hour and a half or two hour long services. We're going to keep it to an hour, and we're just going to tell people, give us an hour of your weekend, and we'll make it worth your while. And then we made a decision that we would not pass an offering plate because money was a big issue for people. And so from day one, we have not passed offering plates, especially like when there was 20, 25 of us. When you passed the plate, it was really clear who was giving and who was not. <laughs> you know, it's like... Oh, gosh, guilt. I got to put something in there. So we just, that, from day one, we've had these offering boxes. And, and we've kept that up to this day. 
because we wanted to remove all those barriers. Now, here's the thing. Those barriers have become harder and harder for the church to overcome. A number of years ago, a guy named David Kinnaman wrote a book called Unchristian. Came from a lot of surveys and, 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 um, and, and talking to people. And what they found out, the thing that was keeping people from church, the thing that was keeping people from becoming Christians, were things a lot more important than offerings and boring and irrelevant and those kind of things. They talked about things like because those people are judgmental, hypocritical, insensitive, homophobic. We decided, wow, the battle has changed. <laughs> And we got to change. We got to change the way people view the church. We've got to do that. It's so important that the church ought to be a place where people can come and explore, no matter where they are in that process. And instead of being critical and judgmental, we should be encouraging. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We decided we're going to be a place of encouragement and help for people who are in that process. And that becomes important. And since we are all a a work in progress, what that means is we have to give each other the freedom to fail. Because fail, we will. We will all stumble. We will all struggle. We will all go through those times of doubt and questioning and frustration. Sometimes we will fall flat on our faces. But we have to be a church that allows people that freedom to be able to pick themselves back up, to help pick them up, and to help them keep moving forward. We all need that freedom to fail. Because the truth is, every one of us, if you graft your spiritual growth, your spiritual life, you know, we would like to believe that it's all up and to the right, you know? But it isn't. It looks more like this. Three steps forward, two steps back. Sometimes four steps back, three steps forward. That's the nature of being people in process. So if that's gonna happen, then it has to be in an environment of grace, that we're gonna be a grace-filled community. So people have that freedom. This, is, this came really clear to me. It was, in the, I think, in the second year of our existence. And we were doing a series. We were going through the book of Galatians. And this one passage of Scripture just jumped out at me. I'd never seen it before. And it's this one. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, the Galatian church was still dealing with a lot of those circumcision issues and all the requirements and what was going to be on. So Paul wrote to this church. and said, wait, we settled this issue. And and it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not about this or that. It's not about all these other things. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And on that day, in that sermon, I said to everybody, we are going to repeat this out loud because this is going to be a hallmark of who we are as a church. So today, we're going to repeat this together out loud. See, because this is found fundamental to be in a grace-filled community. So read it out loud with me, would you please? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Again, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What's the only thing that counts? Expressing itself. Yeah. See, if you boil it all down, that's what it comes down to. That we express our faith through love. You know, 12-step programs get this. Because everyone who is in a 12-step program 
knows they are just one false step from slipping back to where they were. If it's alcoholism, they are just one drink away from falling back into alcoholism. If they're an addict, they're just one hit away from falling back into that life. And people fail all the time. But there's always an open door. And they're always welcome back. And they're always given the chance to start over again. That's how the church ought to be. Faith expressing itself through love. A grace-filled community. Now let me explain something because sometimes we get this misunderstanding of grace. We, we kind of tend to think that grace is, I can do whatever I want because God's always going to forgive me. That is not grace. Yes, God forgives. Yes, grace is all about freedom from, freedom from the guilt and the shame of my sin. But it is also a freedom to It is a freedom to grow. It is a freedom to become. It is a freedom to fulfill God's call on your life. It is a free freedom to give. It is a freedom to serve. It's not just about a freedom from. It's about a freedom to. And in a grace-filled community, we understand that. And we encourage each other along the way. And out of that comes something very tangible. God's love. Faith expressing itself through love. Love, God's love, must be tangibly expressed. It has to be. Because love is not just an idea. Love is not a thought. Love is not a warm feeling. Love is an action. I I love the title of Bob Goff's book, Love Does, because that's what love does. Love does something. And so we decided what that means for us as a church is that we're going to live generous lives. That we are gonna, we're going to do what we can to tangibly express the love of God. And from day one, we started with this thing called the, the Adopt-A-Family Giving Tree. And we would just, I think the first year we had two families that we helped out at Christmas time. But it grew and it grew. And then other things got added to it. We added um, Thanksgiving boxes that we do now. You can get today. Um, we did outreach events. We started finding ways. The Dollar Club. Um, walk for Water. All of these ways that we could tangibly Express the love of God to people who need to know it. And that's what it means to be a generous church, to be generous people. Again, this came from a study that I had in the book of Acts. And it is one of those fundamental verses that just caught me like never before. In Acts chapter 4, it says about the early church that all the believers were one in heart and mind. That no one claimed any of their own possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no nerdy, needy persons among them. No nerdy persons either, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is a phenomenal statement. No needy persons. That they cared so much for people, that they gave so much for people, that no one went hungry. No one went without a place to live or, or, or clothes on their back because they learned how to express their faith in love. And the last one is this, because ultimately this is what it comes down to, that our whole lives should honor God. Every aspect of our lives. Romans 12, it's again, one of my favorite verses, one of those defining verses for me, that in view of God's mercy, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not what you do for an hour on a Sunday morning. It's how you live your life each day expressing all of those things that we talked about. 
having God's heart for lost people, being involved in their lives, recognizing that there's every conversation, every relationship has a redemptive possibility. And, and, and that we would provide that place of belonging and it would be a place of grace where people would have the freedom to fail and we would express God's love in tangible ways because all of those things are what honor God. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that among all of these things that those people were doing, it said that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That even people who were not part of that early church looked at that church and said, I'm not sure I believe everything they believe. And I'm not sure I understand it all. But there is something about that group of people that I've got to get in on. And I think that's what God has called his church to be. And that's fundamentally who we want to be. 1 Peter 2.12 puts it this way. Live such good lives among the pagans. And that's not a derogatory term, by the way. That's just a word used for people who are not believers, okay? So if you're a pagan, that's, you're okay, all right? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And I said at the beginning, Luke 15 has this pattern. Something of great value is lost, an all-out search is launched, and then there's a party and a celebration when it is found. That's not exactly true. That's true of the first two stories, but the third story is very, very different. In the third story, no one goes out after the lost son, which begs the question, why? Why didn't anybody go out? Whose job was it to go out after the young brother? And, And Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, points out something incredibly powerful. He says, in truth, you know whose job it was? The older brother's. It was the older brother's responsibility. Because see, God made that clear all the way back in Genesis when Cain uh, killed his brother Abel and God asked Cain, where is your brother? And he says, where, am, I, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is yes. See, it's the older brother's job to go out To say to his father, my brother's been a fool, and he's made a mess of his life, and I'm going to go bring him home, because that's God's heart. That's God's heart for people. Fortunately, we do have an older brother. His name is Jesus Christ. He came to find what was lost He came and he paid the price on the cross to purchase that forgiveness, that salvation, that life for you and for me. And thank God. Thank God for that older brother. Because we all were lost. And we all needed someone to come and get us found. And that's what we are all about. Would you bow your heads with me? Tonight, we're going to celebrate and tell stories about God's faithfulness over the last 25 years. But today, my prayer for us as a church to a person would say to God, I'm on board. I'm a part of that. You know, the last couple of weeks, we talked about um, giving and, and, and serving God with your finances. 
And we had over 100 pe- 150 people make a commitment to say, I'm on board with that. And last week we talked about serving and finding your place of ministry and seeing what God can do in your life. And we had a, over 150 people last week say, I'm on board with that. I'm going to serve. But today, my prayer is that all across this room, every one of us would say, I'm on board. I know why we are who we are. I know why we do what we do. And I want to be a part of that. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and signify that. I'm just going to ask you to make that commitment between you and God. Say, God, if you could use me, however you can, I'm in. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't know that relationship with God. You don't know the grace of God expressed through Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to understand. God has loved you from the day you were born. And you may have been lost and wandering out and doing your own thing. But he gave his one and only son to come and bring you home. And today, you can take a first step of faith. Now, what you got to do, it's kind of like what the younger brother did. You got to admit you've been wrong. And you just need to ask for God's grace to cover you, to forgive you of that sin. And then you just put your life in his hands and let him bring you through that process. And if you've never done that, today you can take a first step of faith. Now I'd love the chance to lead you in a simple prayer and give you that opportunity to take that step. And if you've never done that before, but today God's speaking to your heart and saying, you know, that's what I'm missing. That's what I need. God, I want to follow you. Would you just raise your hand and, and hold it up? And as you do, also look up and catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and I want to pray with you and for you as we close. So if there's anybody just saying, yeah, that's me. I want to take a first step of faith today. Just raise your hand, hold it up, catch my eye. All right. I'm going to ask you to just join me in this prayer. Lord, thank you for coming to find me. Thank you for your grace extended to me. God, I want your heart to beat like my heart. I want my heart to beat like your heart. I want to recognize the opportunities around me. I want to share that grace that you've given to me. I want to see people get found. And I'm giving myself to you to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. You may-